Welcome to The Backstory with Dr. Ricky Singh. This podcast is focused on bringing you the latest research-based information about dramatically improving health, well-being, and quality of life. And here's your host, Dr. Ricky Singh. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Backstory. A lot of people ask me about core strengthening, ways in which to reduce back pain and improve posture and things like that, all things that are very, very important when it comes to spine health. But another question I get asked a lot is about abs, specifically, how do I get a six pack? And when I think about this question, I kind of laugh and think about that scene in Oprah Winfrey when she gave everyone a car in her show a few years ago. And she goes, you have a car, you get a car, you get a car. And when, when patients or friends or family ask me about getting a six pack, I kind of think of that scene and I tell them, you have a six pack, you have a six pack. Everybody's got, got a six pack. It's just that we haven't exposed the six pack. And in order to do so, we need to remove that layer of adipose or protecting fat around it to show to the world what we already have. So unless you have had surgery or some type of anatomic abnormality where you don't have the requisite muscles, most of the people listening to this episode have what it takes to get a six pack. We just got to figure out how. So today is part one of a three-part series that I am calling the science behind six-pack abs. And when you think about what's really involved in getting a six-pack, we can't have that conversation without focusing on diet, exercise, and core strengthening. And if I were to give each of those a percentage or value of how important they are in getting a six-pack, I would give diet about 80% and exercise and core you know, 15 or 10% each. And today we're going to focus on diet because I think that's the most critical piece when it comes to achieving this goal of getting a six pack. In subsequent episodes, we will talk about exercise. We will talk about core strengthening, but today we're going to focus on diet. Just the other day, a childhood friend of mine from St. Louis texted me and asked me about getting a six pack. And in her text, she says, and don't just tell me abs are made in the kitchen. And I kind of sent her a laughing emoji and I said, well, that, that's true. Abs are predominantly made in the kitchen, maybe in the gym to some extent. But I really want to take a deep dive on what I meant by that. What does it mean when I say abs are made in the kitchen? When talking about diet, it's important to first focus on the macronutrients, fat, protein, and carbohydrates. And today's episode is mostly going to focus on carbohydrates. Carbs are found in almost everything we eat and drink to some extent. There are three main types of carbs fibers, starches, and sugars. And when you read one of those labels on a box or a can of food that says total carbs, it's really adding each of those elements together, the, st- the sugars, the starches, and the fiber to give you total carbohydrates. In addition to that, there's also a difference between simple carbs and complex carbs. Simple carbs are essentially fructose or, or table sugar. Uh, things that you see in soft drinks and candies and things that we encourage us all not to intake. But complex carbs are starches. And starches are relevant because it takes a lot longer for your body to break these carbohydrates down into the simplest form, which is glucose. When you eat a lot of starchy foods, you feel fuller. An example of these include you know, beans, chickpeas, lentils, some fruits like apples and berries, whole grain foods like brown rice and whole wheat pasta and some vegetables like potatoes. Fiber is also a type of carbohydrate is contained in a lot of plant-based foods like fruits and vegetables. There's no animal protein 
which includes dairies and meat that contains fiber. Our bodies can't really break down fiber, so it passes through the intestines, it helps with digestion, it can help lower blood sugar, and sometimes keep cholesterol in check. And the most important carbohydrate is that last column, which is the simple sugar. So I want you to think about what happens when you consume something sugary. And let's talk about the standard American diet, or what we call the SAD diet, S-A-D. So you wake up in the morning, and you have something high in sugar, a glass of orange juice, a bowl of cereal, maybe a bagel. And what happens is your blood glucose, your blood sugar rises, and your body has to figure out a way to get that circulating sugar into the cells so you can use it for energy. And the way it does that is by sending insulin into the bloodstream. This is a hormone that forces the sugar back into the cells. So you have your breakfast, blood sugar spikes, insulin spikes. Then it comes down back to a little bit of baseline. Before you know it, it's mid-morning, 10 o'clock, you're hungry again. So you have a mid-morning snack like a bagel or something like that. Again, your blood sugar spikes, your insulin chases it, brings the sugar back down. At lunchtime, you might have something unhealthy. Maybe it's high in carbs. Maybe it's a hamburger. Maybe it's french fries. Sugar spikes, insulin spikes, comes back down. After work, around 3, 4 o'clock, you have a candy bar. Same, same concept repeats itself. And then finally, dinner. What's happening with all of these peaks and troughs of spiking blood glucose is that your insulin is also rising with every meal, and you're developing this condition called hyperinsulinemia. Basically, you're just increasing the body's circulating insulin. This is relevant because what insulin does is insulin actually promotes fat storage. So the more insulin your body has circulating around your body, it inactivates the breakdown of fat and promotes fat storage. So if you're taking in a lot of sugars or taking a lot of simple sugars for the most part, you're gonna raise your blood sugar throughout the day and you're gonna increase your risk or even put you at risk for developing diabetes, metabolic syndrome, heart disease, cholesterol issues. So it makes sense that if we wanna promote weight loss, if we wanna get rid of those few pounds around our midsection, we need to decrease the amount of insulin circulating in the body. So how do we do that? And that's what comes down to a low-carb diet. So basically what a low-carb diet is, it essentially means you're eating fewer carbs and a higher proportion of your meals and calories are coming from protein and fat. Now some call this a keto diet or a ketogenic diet, but not all low-carb diets result in ketosis, uh, which is kind of beyond the scope of this talk, but we've mentioned that in previous episodes. So for many years we were told that fat is detrimental. There was a huge craze decades ago of low-fat foods, low-fat yogurt, low-fat this, and our supermarket shelves were flooded with these products. But right around the same time is when we in America saw the rise in the obesity epidemic. So while we were marketing all these healthy foods as low-fat and this wave continued, the obesity epidemic started to rise and rise and rise, which kind of showed that a low-fat diet didn't prevent increase in obesity. And in fact, many of us believe it probably contributed to the obesity epidemic. But instead, if we focused on a low-carb diet, which simply means, again, minimizing the amount of sugar and starches you eat and making sure you get an adequate amount of protein, whether it's animal or plant-based, you're more likely to stabilize your blood sugar. And as I mentioned earlier, if you want to decrease your fat storage, the most important thing you can do is control your insulin, which is controlled by how much sugar you eat. 
No conversation about a low-carb diet is complete without talking about Dr. Robert Atkins. So we all kind of have heard of or known someone who has tried or participated in the Atkins diet. Uh, so Ac- Dr. Atkins was actually an alum of my university here at Wall Cornell. Um, he was a practicing cardiologist and actually studied how low-carb diets were used to control seizures in his patients. And what he found was that a lot of his patients actually lost weight. So he experimented on himself, and he published a book in the 70s, which again, he reissued and repopularized in the 80s and 90s, calling the Atkins diet. And basically, the Atkins diet theory was that the body's an engine, and carbs are the gas, carbs are the fuel that make it go. So if you limit the carbs in the body, the body has to turn to an alternate fuel source to provide energy, and that fuel is usually in the form of fat. So cutting or limiting sugars or simple starches such as potatoes and white bread and white rice and things like that, and focusing on protein, the fat is burned and the weight comes off. So how exactly does this work? Well, think about what we've been told growing up, that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And that may or may not be true depending on who you are. You may wake up very, very hungry. But for most of us, we don't really need to eat breakfast. But let's talk about what to eat for breakfast, not just eating breakfast in general. So there have been many studies published showing that if you eat breakfast that's higher concentration of protein instead of carbs, you actually feel full longer during the day, which actually leads to less snacking. Remember, we talked about earlier that if you eat a high sugary snack like cereal or bagel or orange juice, your blood sugar spikes, your insulin spikes, it comes back down in a few hours and that's what makes you hungry again. Whereas if you eat a breakfast that's high in protein and high in fat, you remain full longer, which leads to less daytime snacking. And that, in effect, will promote weight loss and weight maintenance. So if you have a choice between eggs or oatmeal, I would argue, pick the eggs. So the first benefit of eating a low-carb diet is that it reduces your appetite. And it kind of may seem counterintuitive, right? Because you're dieting and limiting calories in the form of carbs, yet you actually remain full longer and end up eating fewer calories throughout the day. This is probably the simplest and most effective way to lose weight. And the other reason why low-carb diets tend to work is because you get rid of excess body water, which also contribute ultimately to weight loss. The thing to remember about fat is that all fat in your body is not the same. You have some fat that's under your skin called subcutaneous fat. And you also have fat that surrounds your organs called visceral fat. And this is typical of where most overweight men store their fat kind of in their in their midsection in their belly and as this type of fat the fat around the organs and the visceral fat increases inflammation in your body increases your body's resistance to insulin increases so imagine that if insulin's not even working as efficiently as it used to your body's got to produce more insulin which leads to more fat promotion and leads to then metabolic syndrome overweight heart disease, cholesterol, and a whole host of issues. So going back to our ultimate goal of showing off our six-pack, decreasing the amount of carbs you eat, decreasing the amount of insulin circulating in in your body will hopefully lead to less visceral fat, a leaner midsection, which again will help you expose what you're hiding deep below. And honestly, most of the listeners out there, myself included, you know, the end goal may not even be in achieving a six pack. 
it's just a fun way to talk about how to diet, the benefits of low carbs, eating healthy in general. And that goes beyond our aesthetic. Eating a whole food, plant-forward-based diet leads to decreased inflammation in the body. It probably leads to less joint pain, less weight, less heart disease, potentially less cancer, and even other neurodegenerative conditions such as Alzheimer's. So there's so many benefits when it comes to eating healthier. So whether your goal is to get a beach body or just live a healthier life, I think it's really important to look at how your diet can accomplish some of these goals. Science shows that there's no real one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to dieting. A very large study published by the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, looked at 60 to 80 different studies, and they compared low-fat, low-carb, and a bunch of different diets, and they found that body composition did not change much from one diet to the other. However, if you get the right amount of protein, if you do favor a lower-carbohydrate, high-protein diet, those tend to lead to more favorable effect on body mass and composition. At the end of the day, the best exercise nutritional plan is the one you can stick with. Once you find the right approach and you make it a lifelong habit, like we talked about last week, that's what's really ultimately going to give you the body you want, the health benefits you want, and maybe even the six-pack. So today was on diet, part one of the science behind six-pack abs. Stay tuned in the following episodes for more on exercise and core strengthening. But until then, food is medicine. You are what you eat. And here at The Backstory, we've got your back. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Backstory. Please subscribe, rate the podcast, and review The Backstory on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play Music. And feel free to share this podcast on social media or even your own website or blog. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice. To learn more about Dr. Singh and his clinical research, please follow him on social media. You can also sign up for his newsletter by going to www.rickysinghmd.com. That's R-I-C-K-Y-S-I-N-G-H-M-D.com.